I have a friend that's obsessed with the idea of knowing me in my 20s. He feels like it was a massive fail on the part of the planet to have the two of us meet in our 30s. Once we'd already had spouses and kids and the fun, the real fun, was over. He always jokes about inventing a time machine and he knows exactly where he'd set the dial. 1994, Phoenix nightclub, stumbling into me and my bestie outside the bathroom. It became banter that is kind of annoying to other people and absolutely hilarious to us. And although it's just a silly joke we have, it sometimes got me to thinking, what if we actually could go back in time? Would we? Can I dance one more dance with my dad and take back all the times I said no? I'd like that. Can I change my mind and take the girls to Florida because it's all my mom wanted and I was forever too busy to make it happen? Yep, that'd be cool. And when I've been disappointed or upset with my ex-husband, I've definitely quietly wished that I never met him. But we all know how that one goes. Without him, there's no them. So it's a bit of a pickle, isn't it? Would you change an event of your life if you knew it was all going to turn out the same way anyway? Would you choose to relive the pain, the angst, the heartbreak just to repeat one great moment in time? Do you dream about a life that didn't happen based on a turn you didn't make? And if you truly got an answer to the what-if question you're dying to know about the future, would you really change your course? I'm Jenny B, and this is It Actually. This is it, actually. Take a sip and grab a seat, cause this is it. I got into a car accident a couple weekends ago. It wasn't serious and no one was hurt, but it was really scary. It was only the second car accident I've ever been in, like, in my life. It was the first real snowfall that we've had here, and it was that slushy and slippery, messy kind of piling up snow, and I can only assume that nobody had gotten their winter tires yet, because I certainly hadn't. We were coming back to Toronto from my hometown, and we were on a back road, and a bunch of cars were getting stuck trying to go up a hill. It slowed everyone to a stop, and lanes weren't even really a thing anymore, and we were all essentially just sitting in the middle of the road, wondering how we'd get out. We were trying to figure out our plan when I saw a car coming the other way down the hill, out of control, straight for us. They were coming at a really fast pace, but it kind of felt like it was happening in slow motion. I had just enough time to say, holy shit, they're going to hit us, and I was bracing for the front of my car to be totaled and to experience airbags going off for the first time in my life. But at the last possible second, their car slid to their left and it hit the car that was stuck beside us to my right and bounced back and hit my front bumper and passenger side door. Weirdly, my daughter texted just a minute before that to say she had found a dime deep in her carpet. And if you believe in finding dimes, you know what that means, but that's a whole other story. Everyone was really shaken and respectful and we all got out of there eventually, but once I got home and safe and got my babies tucked into bed, I couldn't sleep that night. I was replaying the whole scenario over and over again in my head. What if their car hadn't turned? What if we had decided to take the highway and not the back roads? What if my girls had been in the car? There was literally no point in obsessing over things that didn't happen. I should have just thanked my lucky stars and slept soundly in my warm and comfy bed, happy to be alive and cozy. I mean, I did all of those things, but my brain still couldn't shut off the what if. 
Brene Brown calls this type of what-if disaster planning. She studies scary emotions like anger and shame for a living, but she says she thinks the most terrifying human experience is joy. Oh boy. Like every time we feel real and true happiness, when we allow ourselves to be happy, there's just got to be a sucker punch waiting in the wings, lurking around like a lurking jerk, just looking to sabotage our joy. Oh man, that is not good. Brene says the problem with this is worrying about things that haven't happened doesn't actually protect us from pain. Because by the way, that's what we think we're doing. We're putting on some padding and protective gear by playing out the doom and gloom scenarios in our head. But you can't prepare for tragedy and you can't change the what if that already happened. What's funny or tragic, depending on your sense of humor, is that my what ifs are never what if I'm unbelievably successful? What if my kids turn out completely okay and all right? What if I live to be a beautiful old silver fox with all my faculties and my wits about me? Nope, it's always, what if my kid gets mean? What if I stop working and I lose my house? What if I get cancer like my parents? Well, I know the answer to all of those what ifs. I'll deal, because I've dealt before. All the twists and turns led me right here, to this moment. The hard stuff, the corners I wished later I hadn't taken, the yellow brick roads when stuff is moving and grooving and feeling spot on. I think, now that I'm older, I do spend less time in the what-ifs of the past and much more time in the it-is-what-it-is because, well, wondering can make you a little crazy. But certainly, there have been times in my life when I've questioned where I might have ended up had I taken a different turn. And you can peel back many, many layers of that same type of questioning. What if I didn't grow up in the town that I did? That right there changes the whole trajectory. Or if I hadn't stayed home to help my mom take care of my dad, would I have gone to university right away? Would I have met a whole group of different friends, a different husband? What if I'd stayed married? That's a very different life. Or further back, what if my mom and dad hadn't been working the same shift that day? What if he'd never seen her legs going up the staircase? Because if that didn't happen, then I didn't happen. And that's a rabbit hole of made up and impossible scenarios to imagine. I'm going to admit something that I've only ever told to a handful of close friends. I actually felt quite a bit of shame around it for quite some time, but I know I'm not alone, so in the spirit of human connection and transparency, here goes. The first time I was home alone with my first baby, I was so scared of her. Like, I can't solely be in charge of this small human. But I knew babies could smell fear, so I was just acting the part of a confident, all-knowing mom, and it was working. (laughs) We had a great morning. She ate on schedule, she pooped on schedule, she went down for her morning nap. When I got her up, she was smiling and happy, and I put her on the change table, and as I stripped her down, I looked at her perfect little body and her sweet little face, and I was instantly struck by the fear of someone hurting her. Like I saw a little movie in my mind of how it would all play out. It was sheer panic. What if someone stole her innocence? What if I can't protect her forever? I felt like such a weirdo. I was so mad at myself for letting my brain go to a dark place in such a sweet moment. I was internally begging myself to come back to the present. But the what if doesn't always have to be worrisome or tragic. It can be a little glimpse into a different life, a life that might have been. That can be kind of fun, just as a little fantasy kind of thing. But as I talked about in the Defining Moments episode, those sliding doors may open or shut on different paths. But I really do believe we always end up in the same place. Choosing the joy of the journey is really up to us. The good news is that joy collected over time fuels resilience, which means we stockpile crates and boxes of emotional strength to crack open when hard stuff actually happens. 
The Buddhist religion reminds people the value of living in the present. Instead of being obsessed about what we don't know, the what if, we should try to remind ourselves that life is always in permanent transition. We can't change the past. We can't control the future. A great philosopher once said, do you want to know what my secret to happiness is? I don't mind what happens. And I know I've said it a thousand times before, but gratitude can snap us out of almost anything. Being able to appreciate the things I have helps to remind me that I've come from hard places for very specific reasons, and this is what it is because of what happened. Like every single right and left turn and introduction and decision made has led me right here. So yeah, gratitude. I'm thankful for things like making this podcast and having neighbors that let me borrow random things. I'm grateful that I witnessed the exact moment when my daughter's figure of speech morphed into mine. I love getting mail that isn't just bills. I'm thankful for cozy sweaters and hot tea and the latest season of The Crown. And I'm really grateful for continually finding amazing connections with new people that I never imagined I would ever even meet. Come on, you can't beat that shit. So as much as I would love a little do-over on a few things and maybe even a full second opportunity on a few others, I'll do my best to trade my what-ifs for what-nows and be happy to be here. I am a person who says yes. If you know me, you're probably laughing because at some point we were involved in some kind of shenanigans simply because I said yes. I decided early on in life that I wasn't going to be someone who regretted something I didn't do. If I was going to regret something, it was going to be because I did it. So yeah, I say yes. And it's led me to some weird and wonderful places, like being airlifted out of the Grand Canyon, or crashing a Saturday Night Live party when I was just 14, or learning to drive stick in a Winnebago by myself, bumping down a U.S. interstate. So when the friend I decided to move clear across the country with, and I had a huge falling out over, of all things, money, When he approached me and said, would you like to air our dirty laundry on national television? Well, of course, my answer was yes. So he owed me a lot of money and I had taken his prized possession, a beautiful Tennessee Rose Gretsch guitar, the only thing in his life that had any value. Well, he was not happy about that. So he went to small claims court and he filed small claims against me to get his guitar back. I did the only thing I knew how to do, which was to countersue. Well, that's when the letters started rolling in, one after the other. Dear Miss Whore, we are very interested in you being a part of our television show. My friend, ex-friend and I contacted each other. We met on neutral ground, the courthouse, and together we decided, yes, we were going to go on a judge show to air our grievances. I was given a producer, I was given help gathering evidence, I was coached on how to talk to the judge. And then the big day came and I was told to be respectful. And then moments before being shoved onto a set under hot bright lights, the producer leaned in, whispered in my ear, forget everything I said about being respectful and go and fight like hell. Well, rarely in life do you have video evidence of a yes of a what if. Well, I know what happened. And in fact, most people can watch what happened. And maybe I don't know what would have happened if my friend and I had not gone on Judge Joe Brown. But I can tell you that because we did, it laid the groundwork for us to fix our relationship. And now 20 years later, 
Well, we are not the friends we were when we packed up our lives in Boston and drove out to LA. We are friends. And honestly, I don't think that would have happened had we not gone on Judge Joe Brown. I know you're wondering who won. (laughs) And honestly, I can say that we both won because we were able to heal because of it. What if? What if I hadn't met Riley? Prior to meeting Riley, I worked in northern Alberta. I would fly to work for my 20-day shift and then fly home for my 10 days off. More often than not, I would hop on a plane in Edmonton and travel to Mexico or home to Ontario. I became obsessed with New Orleans and hit up the jazz festival a couple times. I had a sailing trip planned with my uncle. We were to set sail and head to Bermuda and then continue across the Atlantic for 45 days, where we would port in Italy. There, I would stay with him for a week or so, and then my plan was to hop on a train and travel for six weeks. As fun and exciting that this life was, I was lonely. I dreamed of a similar life, but with a partner. I met Riley. After a year, I quit my job. I cancelled my sailing trip because I finally met this amazing human being. We moved to a wee cabin with two little boys, no heat, no water, at the foot of Brule Mountain. The boys built go-karts and homemade lemonade stands. I learned very quickly how to improvise on homemade games. I literally would string empty beer cans on some hemp twine and hang them between two trees, and we would spend hours throwing rocks at them. As our adventure continues, we have lived in the forest in a small cabin for three and a half years now. My boys run wild, my dogs and cat have the best outdoor life, and my three pet pigs are living the dream. We haul our wood, we haul our water, we ditched our fridge, and we have to scrape hoarfrost from the toilet seat in the middle of the winter. So what if I hadn't met Riley? It's not about what I had, it's what I have now. That's what I couldn't live without. So back in 2010, I left a job that I was at for four years. It was my job that I got straight out of college. It was in the field that I wanted, but it was just time for a change. And I always really respected this company, you know, from their product to their marketing. And I really wanted to get my foot in the door. And I was uh, offered a job, but at the time it was actually only part-time positions. And I was kind of thinking about it. I thought, you know what? No, I'll go in, I'll get my foot in the door and I'll work my way up. But more so within that, you know, this what if uh, story is I'm glad I made that career jump because within a couple of years of working there, you know, with my colleagues and coworkers I worked with, uh, there's a couple of guys uh, there on my team that, you know, wanted to set me up uh, with a girl that actually had worked at that location. Um, she had left just prior to me getting there. So we never really worked. We never worked together. And they would say, you know, you have so much in common, um, you know, sense of humor and you, know, you guys are health nuts and, you know, you're very active. And I just feel like you guys would get along really well. And at the time I was in my late 20s, I really didn't want to get set up, to be honest. I was just, you know, doing my thing, having my fun, you know, concentrating on family, on work and, and my friends. But uh, she came in the store and visited a couple of the coworkers, a couple of the friends that she knew uh, when she worked there. And, you know, then I told the guys, OK, you know what? Yeah, let's let's get the wheels in motion and set things up. They gave me her Instagram account. And this was at a time where Instagram, obviously, they didn't have stories. They didn't have um, DMs. You can only comment on on posts. 
I took a look at her profile and strategically commented on her fitness photos and some running photos. And I said, I really want to get into running. Norm, do you have any tips? Uh, and I, I don't like running, but uh, that was my foot in the door to kind of start, you know, talking to her. And I'm really glad that, that I did because, you know, it led to her becoming my girlfriend, her becoming my wife. Uh, we have a beautiful daughter together. And it's just crazy because you sit back and think, wow, you know, what if, what if I didn't make that jump uh, and take that job? I wouldn't have the life that I have. Um, so I'm very, very grateful that I did. I'm a 50-year-old television producer, director, writer who's lived in Toronto for over 25 years. I think that I live in one of the best cities in North America, and I work in an industry that's vibrant and exciting. It's an industry where anything could happen at any minute, and it's brought me to all corners of the world. I guess you could say it's turned me into a bit of an adrenaline junkie. I definitely get high off walking the television tightrope. This is a very different life than the one I planned for myself when I was 17 years old. A life plan at 17. Isn't that adorable? When 17-year-old me spoke to my guidance counselor in preparation for attending the University of Manitoba in Winnipeg, I had it firmly planted in my brain that I would be an elementary school teacher. So at 18, I started a combined Bachelor of Arts in Education degree, and I began student teaching at a school on Grant Avenue. One day after seeing one too many kids with no mittens, Winnipeg, Manitoba people, or with no lunch or too high on Ritalin, or after seeing a little boy smacked in the head by his mom, all true stories, by the way, it was the 80s, I stopped dead in my tracks and wondered what the actual F am I doing here? I do not belong here. So I listened to my gut, got out of the school, the vocation, and the province. And as they say, the rest is history. But what if my gut didn't sound that bell? What if I was a teacher in Winnipeg, Manitoba right now, married to my high school boyfriend? What would that even look like? You know what? I can't imagine. I love Winnipeg, and I'm sure I would have made good use of the white sand beaches and learned to just focus on the gorgeous, big, blue, sunny winter skies. And I think I would have loved to work with all those children and maybe not brought them all home with me. As for the boyfriend, I may or may not be divorced right now because really, who's the same person 30-some years later? Bless you if you made it that long. But I think that 18-year-old Maureen did all the right things. It wasn't easy, but she stumbled, drifted, worked hard, and freelanced her way to exactly the place she's supposed to be. And at age 50, I'm so glad that I'm not on the other side of the what-if question. What if I was happier walking a tightrope? At the age of 26, I was faced with the shame of my father finding out that I was skimming off the top of his life savings to fund my drug habit. The plan was that if he ever found out that I was just going to kill myself because I just couldn't face him. What if I'd done that? What if I had chosen that cop-out path? I would have missed out on so much. I would never have experienced the knowing that no matter how bad things seem, there is redemption. I would never have experienced what it feels like to have to dig deep within and find the strength to overcome and do what I needed to do to get clean. I didn't know that I had that strength in me, but I found it. I never would have experienced forgiving myself and forgiving my dad and being forgiven by my dad. I never would have experienced the connection that happens when you become vulnerable with people 
in sharing your story. And I would never have experienced what it's like to fall in love and to become a mother and to build a business from an idea and then to help others find their way. Most importantly, I would never have experienced the healing that I came into this lifetime to complete. This is a tip, actually. Brene says we simply cannot know joy without embracing vulnerability, and she issued a three-part dare to us what-ifers of the world. Here it is. Number one, stop the train. The next time you are debilitated by what-if, say out loud, I feel vulnerable. Brene says this sentence changed her life. It helps us leave our fear brain, also affectionately known as the crazy train, and puts us back on the platform where she says we can make a conscious choice not to get back on. Number two, be thankful. Brene wrote this. Recently, when a turbulent flight caused me to start planning my own funeral, I remembered something I'd learned in my research. Joyful people are grateful people. She's right, and it's not always the easiest, but this is actually my number one rule. I try to replace the down and out what was me talk with a list of things I'm grateful for. Even when I'm complaining to a friend or my boyfriend, I almost always quickly follow it up with, but I know I should be thankful and I'm really lucky because, but it works. It's much harder to be dark when you see the light. Oh, and bonus points for speaking your gratitude out loud and writing it down. And number three, start a practice. Like most everything in life, joy is something we have to work at which is pretty annoying and kind of a bummer when you think about it, because little kids are just born with that excitable, ready to learn, everyone is good and life is grand kind of attitude. We kind of lose that as we go, so it's almost imperative to our health and well-being to try and get it back. It means appreciating the moments, the everyday simple ones. Brene writes, it means not living in fear of what I could lose, but softening the moments that I have. Thank you to my friends Mel, Rick, Carrie, Catherine, and Maureen for their stories about the what if. It reminds me that I'm not alone and life brings us all exactly to where we're supposed to be. I wanted to let you know that I'm working on some new product and designs for my store in the new year. How am I already talking about 2021? And I'll be posting new episodes straight through to January 7th. Hopefully you'll spend a little time with me in your ear over the holidays, one by one, or binging, and of course, if you like what you hear, I'm very grateful for you to pay it forward and pass it on. Okay, so I hate talking about money, and I've pretty much avoided this for the last 36 episodes, but I'm just going to say it quickly and get it over with. There is a sponsorship feature on Anchor, the place that hosts my podcast, which allows listeners to sponsor the podcast they love with any dollar amount that they deem fit. Phew, that wasn't so bad. (laughs) Truthfully, I actually kind of forgot about it until one of my beautiful besties started sponsoring this podcast last month. And when I saw it, I burst into tears because, you know, 2020. And also it was really shocking and lovely. And I vowed to myself to mention it to you. So there, it's mentioned. On that note, I will be taking a break from January 14th to January 28th, returning on February 4th, so maybe I should have waited to ask you for your money until after that. (laughs) Thanks for listening. If you have an idea for an episode or know someone who would be a great guest, let me know. You can send your stories and ideas and just general good words to thisisitactually at gmail.com, and you can also see stuff and follow along on Instagram at thisisitactually. Message me cool stuff, but not dumb or rude stuff, because obviously. Thanks for listening. Now go say something nice to someone. This is it, actually. Take a sip and grab a seat, because this is it.